When we saw the invitation or reminder, as it were, for tonight and saw the prodigal God as the title of what we want to consider, I'm wondering what's crossed in it. If, if you found that fascinating, what did that make you think about? Um, or did that bat any form of curiosity? I'm just wondering what was your first reaction, let me put it that way, when you, when you read that topic? Anybody, just unmute yourself and go for it. Titi Laya, I'll go with you first. I think, okay. Okay, go on, Stephen, then we'll come to Titi. Sorry, um, I was supposed to raise my hand. Sorry about that. It's so, okay. I, yeah, I, I'm thinking from the literal meaning of being prodigal, mm -hmm. in some sense, it means being generous. And of course, some you can see it in the in different perspective as wasteful or um lavishing all you have and not thinking not holding back so um yeah the first point that crossed my mind will be that um how uh how god loves us and how he he is not careful to hold back in in in, in. i think recently I, I learned about um um from also understanding <laughs> So Pastor recommended that, and yeah, I've been learning from him how that um, in in every situation, even in relating with every other people, that uh, we are to treat God, we are to treat others as as God treated us, and how He treated us was even when He had no hope that we were going to respond to Him, to His love, He still decided to 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 even when we were in like. Where, I mean, in relating with other um, other people, we always probably get hurt. We always probably, you know, get offended. And so now imagining how God was, when, before we got saved, and despite that, he was still able to lavish his love on us and, and still he, 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 he hoped the best for us. And and and, and, and so for, for me, that's, that's one of the, um, that's one of the things that is crossing my mind that, um, yeah, it's really prodigal and, and it's an example to, to live by. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much. Very interesting exposition on the word prodigal. Um, Titi, do you have any thoughts? What came to your mind first when you saw prodigal God? Okay. So um, as I was saying, I, I actually typed on the chat box how that uh -huh. I was wondering if yeah, you wanted to see prodigal son. <laughs> so, I was like, okay, uh, maybe Pastor Joseph, Pastor Joseph was know what he was uh, saying, and he most likely saw uh, the topic well. So yeah. I think um, when Udo spoke now, was it Stephen? Yeah, that was Stephen. Okay, so when he actually um, spoke now, I had to go to the internet and say, okay, yeah. So uh, I think I'm just saying the word prodigal. Uh, in um, the the, uh, the way I know it as in the book of uh, Luke, it's saying yeah. how the prodigal, you know, because most times the word prodigal is mostly when uh, they're talking about the prodigal, so that's for someone like me. Yeah. I just went to the internet now and found that the word prodigal could mean lavish, could mean mm -hmm. generous. Mm -hmm. So now that I'm going to be uh, using the synonyms of uh, prodigal, I think I now understand it. 
That's great. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. Any other person wants to share their first reaction at that topic? Um, Mr. J, are you able to speak? I know in the group comment, like, what a, wow, what a title or something like that. So. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, every time we keep hearing the, the, the uh, prodigal son, mm -hmm. we did not give it a meaning. We didn't give the, the word prodigal its real meaning. Mm -hmm. We were looking at the, the character behind that title. Yeah. So when I saw the, uh, the prodigal God, I was like, oh, the, the thing that came to my mind first was that guy. So I was now getting it, oh, if this guy could behave this way, oh, that means God can behave more. Mm -hmm. So that was there. I said, oh, what a, a title. So <laughs> that's, that's nice. Thank you very much. <clears throat> All right. I mean, of course, as, as we have all said, um, I think for most of us, perhaps we wouldn't even, I mean, prodigal is not a word that we tend to use in everyday diction, everyday communication or conversation. And for most of us that at least grew up with Bible stories, the almost default response to prodigal that comes, um, Titi, thanks for sharing that screenshot. Um, that comes to mind is the prodigal son and how the guy was reckless, how the guy was, you know, how he squandered even that which he got from his father. Um, and that's actually the story that we want to sit with. Um, I've been playing in my mind, how would this go? Because um, it's a lengthy conversation. Uh, it's, it's, it's a someone delivered in a documentary style, if you will. Um, by Tim Keller, Timothy Keller. He actually wrote a book by the title The Prodigal God, a very fantastic resource. And if you have the opportunity to lay your hands on the book, I would recommend it. But he zoomed into this parable and then begins to, you could say, tear it apart and then synthesize it back together in a way that is really, really um, helpful. Um, and so I'm just going to let him do the talking. I would maybe as we go along at some point, I might pause so that we don't just listen for 30 something minutes. It's about 32, 34 minutes or so. But at different points where possible, we'll pause and reflect on what we are hearing together. Um, and I would also ask that as you are listening, even as this, the, the clip is playing, um try and start noting down things that are jumping out at you maybe stuffs you've not heard said like that before or maybe what the holy spirit is saying to you about what you're listening to um etc etc so that would that would really be helpful okay i'm going to share my screen in a moment and the next voice that you will hear will be kellas there's a famous story in the book of Luke that for centuries has been known as the parable of the prodigal son. It's a story about a son who takes his father's inheritance, wastes it all, and then returns to a forgiving father. But it is a great mistake to think that this is a story about just one son. It's actually a tale of two sons. It's a story about a younger brother and an elder brother. We are meant to compare and contrast them. And if we don't compare and contrast them, we miss the radical message 
that Jesus is leading us to. This parable undermines the existing paradigms, the existing categories we have for understanding our relationship with God. And there's something else very interesting about this story. For a long time, there has been a simple formula, a simple three-act formula for telling a story. As you build the story, you first begin with background information and setup. Then you introduce the problem or the conflict, and finally there's the resolution. But Jesus doesn't follow the rules here. Why? The clues come right at the beginning of the first act. The first act begins with a speech. The younger son comes to the father and says, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, the original listeners to this story would have been amazed at such a request. If you were a father and you had two sons and you died, your estate would have been divided two-thirds to the older son, one-third to the younger son, because the oldest son in those days always got a double portion of what every other child got. But this only happened when the father died. So when the younger son comes and says, give me my share of the estate now, while the father's still alive, it's basically to wish the father dead. The younger son wants the father's things, but not the father. He wants the father's wealth and estate. He wants the comfort and the prestige and the independence that goes with those things. But he doesn't want the father. He wishes the father was dead. That's unheard of. But even more unheard of was the father's response to the request. If the original listeners were amazed at the son's speech, they would have been even more amazed at how the father responded to what the younger brother said. An ancient Middle Eastern father would have been expected to have driven the boy out of the house with verbal, if not violent, physical blows. But this father does not do that. What does the story say? It says, he divided the property between them. The Greek word used here for property is the word bios. It means the course of life or that which by life is sustained. So the story really says the father divided his life between them. Why does it say that? The father's estate was his land. The father's wealth was his land. So the only way he could give his younger son one third of his estate was to sell that land. In those days, people's very identity was bound up with their land. If you lost your land, you lost yourself. If you lost part of your land, you lost your status in the community, which was tied up to how much property you had. So what the younger son is asking the father to do is this. He's asking him to tear his life apart, to tear his standing in the community apart, to tear himself apart. And the father does. He divided his property between them leaving him with two-thirds of the estate.
let's pause there. We'll pick it up shortly, but so far so good. What are we getting from the story? Setting it like this, introducing it like this, what's going on in our minds? Um, and it's okay if you are still like, okay, I'm still watching to see where this is going, that's fine. But perhaps there's something that has already been said that is different from maybe how you've always thought about the story. I'll be happy to hear our thoughts in that regard. Is Joshua raising up his hand? <laughs> All right, Titi, go on. Okay, so um, honestly, I've, I've um, maybe because I, I don't really pay full attention, but for example, for someone like me, when I'm reading a particular story, of the scriptures, there's just a way, even if I read and pass, mm -hmm. I just some questions I'll just drop in my heart and say, Okay, I don't know it yet, but I shall know that this thing because anytime I remember the uh, the story of the prodigal, as one is coming to me, the father and say, Give me ah, what kind of root child, like that kind of actually that let me say Nigeria, my that kind of thing. But I think one of the few things that I have picked, um in this video is how uh, we sit down to understand the particulars so we don't just like brush off some parts and, um, or take some part out of it but really like I like the way he's really explaining um, certain things and honestly I've always wondered why the father responded to the um, younger son's um, request it has actually been a question in my mind but I think I'm going to learn a lot so that's just it for me all right, thank you. Any other person wants to share? Okay, we'll pick up the story. Hi, um, sorry, I wanted to say something. All right, so of recent, I was learning about the fact that um, the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, mm -hmm. are types and shadows. Of things to come so looking at this story again now with what this man just said and the way jesus has presented the kingdom of god to us um using parables and stories to to explain what the kingdom of his father is don't forget that jesus christ is the so say for instance god took a selfie and sent us the original copy that this is me so Jesus is trying to explain about the kingdom with this. So looking at it again, after several times that I've read it, I'm thinking, mm, you know, it looks like Christ is talking about how, um, how God would have acted if, you know, how God would have acted. So that's what is coming to my mind, that that's how God would have acted like Come on, go for it if that is what you want. But you know, um, and to come and you know, receiving, we all know that the boy was received back to his father because his father was a forgiving father. You know? So I'm yeah, so I I, I want to see what the end of this um the this man will talk about. But that's what I'm thinking about right now. You know. Thank you very much. I intentionally paused to interject like that so that 
we don't just get carried away with the whims of the presentation. I want us to be self-reflecting as we are listening to what we are watching. So thank you very much, Titi and Lioness. I would continue from where we stopped and we'll be back in a few minutes. And squanders everything he's been given. And he comes to the point where he's impoverished, where he's been taken advantage of, and his life is in absolute ruins. And when he's literally in the pigsty, when he's literally down in the mud, he comes to realize what a fool he's been, and he comes up with a plan. The first part of that plan is to go home. He says, in my father's house, there's bread to spare, and I'm starving here. I will go and confess to my father. He'll go home. Now this is simple, and yet it's very profound. Home is not primarily a place. It's a relationship. It's where you belong. It's where you are accepted. And he longs to come home. But there's a second part to this plan. He says, I will go to the Father, and I will say, Father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. This is not a request to become a slave. Slaves worked on the estate. Slaves lived on the estate. A hired man lived in town and had a wage. What he's actually saying, therefore, is that he wants to pay the father back. He knows that you did not come back into a community whose morals you have violated just through an apology. You had to make restitution. So he's coming to his father, and he's saying, Father, I don't want to be reinstated as a son. I don't want the status of sonship. I don't deserve it. I'm not worthy of it. I want to earn my way back. Make me like one of your hired men. I want to pay you back. That's the plan. So he heads off home. And the father sees him coming from afar off. Now, if you are a father, and you see your adult son coming, and this is a son who has harmed your family and has squandered a lot of your wealth. You see him through your window as you're sitting at your kitchen table. What are you going to do? You'll be sitting there and you will just tap your feet and you'll say, this better be good. Maybe if he's abject enough, maybe if he grovels enough, I might find that my affection is rekindled. This better be good. But what's the story say? This father when he saw him coming from afar off, and he had compassion on him. And the father runs toward him, runs toward him. Now, ancient Middle Eastern patriarchs did not run. Children ran, youth ran, uh, women might run, but not fathers, not owners of the estate. That would mean picking up your skirts and bearing your legs, and you just didn't do that. But this father does. He shows complete emotional abandon. He runs to his son. He kisses him. And the Greek says, he fell on his neck. Now the son tries to roll out his restitution plan, but the father will have nothing of it. He says to his servants, come, put a robe on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Now the ring is significant. It was a signet ring. It had the family seal on it. Back in those days, you didn't make a contract by signing something. You put 
the family seal from the signet ring on the contract. What is happening then is this. The son has said, I don't want to be brought back into the family. I want to earn my way back. But the father is saying now, I'm not going to let you earn your way back. I'm going to bring you back. And so he confers sonship on him like that in a stroke. By sheer grace, he grants it. And he throws a magnificent feast to commemorate the day that his lost son has come home. Some people are like the younger brother. They want the things that God provides, but they don't want God. They want their independence. They want to live their lives the way they want to live them. And they believe it will bring them happiness. And some of them, like the younger son, one day decide to go home. And because the father in the parable represents God, we are being told nothing less than this. No matter who you are, no matter how awful the stuff that you've done, if you come home, God will accept you, he will love you, and it's all by sheer grace. All of us are like the younger son, because when we first come to God, we say, I'm not worthy, I want to earn my way back, I want to try hard to pull it all together, and the biblical God will have none of it. He gives us the full rights of sons. He confers sonship on us through Jesus Christ. It's a standing, it's a status, it's secure. We're accepted. At the end of Act One, everything appears to be back to normal. The conflict has been resolved. The younger son has been forgiven by the father. The family's reunited, right? Not exactly. There's one more character in the story we haven't met yet. He has not yet learned that the lost son has been found. Okay, um, before he slides into, is already at the interlude between Act 1 and Act 2, uh, I also thought to see where we are with the story in our reflection. I'm aware that quite a number of people have joined after the story started. Uh, today we are discussing the prodigal God, which is um, an interesting coinage, uh, a book titled by Timothy Keller. And he did this um, video reflection, as it were, almost the summary of the entire book, if you will. Um, that's what we are journeying through. Of course, it's the story of the prodigal son, as we've known it. And prodigal is not a word that many of us will readily associate with God. But before those that joined us late joined, we've had that discussion. And we found out that it, it simply means extravagance. It simply means lavish, in a manner of speaking. And yes, God is extravagant. His grace is extravagant. His grace is lavish. And so by nature, there is a prodigality to the character and the nature of God. And that's a story for another day. But the story as Tim has been telling it has come to this junction where, of course, the boy is back and everything appears fine. But looking at all those little, little tiny details, you know, that it helps us to unpack the story with, I'm wondering what's, what has struck out to us so far uh, before we pick up 
from where we left off and see how much more we could take. Apparently, I think we're going to have to break this into two parts and do a first part today. And then in our next meeting, we'll bring it to a conclusion. But so far, so good. What's what's standing out to us? Any thoughts, anyone? Don't wait. Um, I, I think um, one of the things that stood out for me was the point that he said, some people want God, want what God provides, mm -hmm. but don't want God. And largely in our society, I mean, this part of the world, what is really being projected out is so independence, self-sufficiency. And, and if we are not careful, we, we can fall into the trap of also going along with the, with, with the, with the trend. And, and, you know, you want to be fine and all of that. And so you want the things God gives. And, and so I think for God, what is more important is, is the relationship than, than just what he, he provides. Yeah, those things are okay, but much more than that. Mm -hmm. I, I'm seeing how that um, even for the younger son, yeah, he had all what the father could provide, I mean, all, but yet the relationship was way more important than, than, than all he had. I mean, he lost it at the end of it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much, Stephen. That's helpful. Joshua, are you raising up your hand or is it Hannah? Um, Go on. Now you're shy. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Any other person? <laughs> All right. I think for me, um, so far, one of the most fascinating things that have been said is that statement, home is not primarily a place, it's a relationship. It's where you belong. I mean, I, I heard that and it's just bringing all sorts of memories, all sorts of ponderings. Besides the spiritual implications of that statement, that when the, the young guy or the young son was coming to his senses to say, I'll go back home, in a sense, he's actually saying, I'll go back to a relationship, to a place where I have an identity, to a place where I belong. But I'm even looking at that, starting with the literal sense of, you know, how we do our homes, how we do life, how we run home. Um, just just this evening, my, my wife was calling when she was on her way from work coming back home and the kids knew that I was speaking to mommy. And so they jumped on the call and literally took the call from me to say, have you bought the face paint? And in my own mind, I'm like, what's this one with face paint again? You people and all these unnecessary stress. I wasn't saying anything, but in my mind, I'm just like, can you just stop all this and let her just come back home? I'm already missing her, blah, blah, blah. But again, when you then think of, you know, the joy on the faces of the boys when they saw their mom back home with the face paint, it makes me realize again that indeed it's not just about coming back home. You could live your life in a way where home is just where you go to sleep and watch television and not necessarily a place where you nurture relationships. Um, and I'm saying that because I think on the one hand, I'm speaking to myself to say, I want to be more intentional in making my home, home indeed. So that when we read scriptures, there are some things in scriptures that our personal experiences vague us from unearthing the full display of the glories therein. So when you hear a statement like home is a home is not primarily a place, it's a relationship. It will make more sense for you if that is indeed your reality. 
Um, and so, yeah, that's that's just what the Holy Spirit was laying on my heart. And I'm still processing what that means for me. And I'm wondering to, you know, throw it out there. Perhaps it will mean something for someone else as well. Let's do home in a way that it's not just a place. It's indeed a place where we belong, a place where that sense of belonging is shared amidst ourselves. But that's not to distract from the main story. And I want us to maybe see a little bit more about the context, which is what it's going to get into before sliding down deeper into the issue of the elder son, which perhaps we're going to have to take next week. So let's let's get into that a little bit more and then we'll begin to call it a night. Can I just quickly talk about that that place? Mm -hmm. Again, when I, okay, so whilst, whilst you're talking, Pastor, I just, please ignore the background noise, okay? Can you hear me, though? Yes, we can hear you, that's fine. All right. So when I looked again at the, at the, at the, um, what is it called? The flyer. The flyer. <laughs> I checked again, and what gave me a courage to sort of let go of the protocol is an evening of reflection on on grace. And when this man was going to be talking about the fact that um, he wants to walk his way, he wants to put effort in walking his way back in his relationship with his father, and his father was like, no, you don't need that effort. Mm. You don't need it. It's a sheer grace. Mm. It's it's um a distinctive grace. It's transparent. It's enough to bring to cover whatever that is. You know to look beyond your fault. You know so when a father looks beyond who you are, looks beyond your fault, looks beyond um, looks beyond um your past, mm. looks beyond how you have come around and asked for whatever that you asked for. You went away, looted it, and then you came back. Mm. you know um so i see it as the fact that no and that's why sometimes i feel like in this kingdom ownership is very very risky ownership is very very um expensive because mm. the truth of the matter is in this kingdom you, we don't hold nothing mm. everything we hold is now christ yeah. you understand so that's the reason why the bible says we are all saved by grace mm. through faith we you can't work for it. Romans chapter, no. Romans somewhere in, in the book of Romans chapter nine, where it was talking about the fact that we can't work for it. Neither in my New Living Translation, it puts it this way. I'm sorry, let me just. It's a, it's one of the scriptures that I love so dearly. Romans chapter nine, I think is verse. Um, sixteen it says so. New Living Translation says so. Receiving God's promise is not up to us. We can't get it by choosing it or working out for it. Mm. God will show mercy to anyone chooses. So we can't work for it. You can't, mm. it's not something to work for it. Mm. Um, it's not by human effort. You know, you, you water what Christ done, or what Jesus did, or what your father is trying to put across to you when you add your own effort. You water it down completely. Mm. Thank you very much. Nice insights to bring in as well. So we'll continue from where we stopped. Stephen, do you want to say that very quickly? Uh, my question is, how uh, is it? How do we practically leave this out as well? The, pro, the being prodigal to other people as well, because practically speaking, we don't really see this around. It's 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 real, and and yeah, that's one of the things that is. Yeah. 
let's, let's keep that playing in our minds as well as as we watch as we continue as it were in the conversation thank you very much very good point now almost always when people think of this story it's all about act one the younger son is coming home the father's acceptance and as a result almost everyone thinks of this story in the most sentimental terms we imagine the original listeners hearing this marvelous story of forgiveness and their eyes welling up with tears but if you look at the context if you look at the people Jesus was speaking to if you look at Jesus purposes in telling this parable you'll realize that the original listeners were not wiping away tears from their eyes they were thunderstruck they were offended because Jesus purpose in telling this parable was not to give us a sentimental message that somehow God will accept us no matter what we do he is here to say basically this that everything you've ever heard and everything you've ever thought about how to approach God is wrong the story continues in act 2 when a new conflict arises as the father throws a feast so Jesus continues the older brother was in the field and when he came near the house he heard music and dancing so he called a servant and asked him what was going on and the servant replied your brother is come and your father has killed the fattened calf for him because he has him back safe but the elder brother was furious he was so angry that he refused to go in and join the feast it was his turn now to assault the integrity of the family he was saying by not going in I will not be part of this family I will not I'm the heir and I don't want to be in the same family with him in it this forced this father to come out and plead with the elder brother but he won't come he's abrasive to the father he says look notice he doesn't call him father he says look all these years I've been good I've never disobeyed you and when this son of yours that squandered your property comes home you kill the fattened calf for him I will not come in notice he doesn't say my brother he doesn't even say your son he says this son of yours he will not acknowledge being in the same family with him now the elder brother's furious but he's particularly upset about the cost you see in those days people did not eat meat at a meal they didn't because it was so expensive it was a great delicacy but the most expensive delicacy of all was the fattened calf and it was not the sort of thing you would do even for a private party so when the father kills the fattened calf we know that meant that the entire village would have been at that costly feast but the elder brother is too furious to go in now you don't need a PhD in psychology if you are the elder brother to realize that this was the greatest day in the father's life 
In fact, the father, by killing the fattened calf and inviting the entire village to this feast, is showing that this is the greatest day in the father's life. Anybody can see that. The elder brother certainly sees that, but it doesn't matter to him. He doesn't care. All he sees is that the father is using his inheritance in a way that he doesn't approve of. So what does this elder brother care for? What does he really care about? He cares about the father's things, but he doesn't really care about the father. He cares about the estate. He cares about the, uh, the expense of all this. He's worried about the fattened calf. And he says, why couldn't it have just been a goat? He cares for the father's things, but he doesn't care about the father's heart. You see, when the father went out to plead with the elder brother, he says, my son, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. And that's the literal truth. Because when he divided his property between them, the younger son took his share and now it's gone. And every single thing now that the father owns, the elder brother will inherit. He's the only heir. It's all his. And all he can see is his share diminishing as a result of the younger brother's return. So he's furious and he's humiliating the father on the greatest day of his life. And he's making the poor father come out of his great feast and argue with him. But how does the father respond? Again, he responds tenderly and he says, my son, I still want you in the feast. And just as we're on the edge of our seats, just as we're asking the questions, how will the elder brother respond? And will the family be reunited in love? And will they all come together at the end? Jesus just ends the parable. He never tells us. Cliffhanger. Why? What is Jesus trying to get across? Much of the brilliance of Jesus' story lies in that in the first act, we get a very traditional depiction of sin. You look at the younger brother and you say, yep, there it is, insulting the father, lover of prostitutes, down in the pigsty, down in the gutter, dissolute, licentious, self-indulgent. Yep, I recognize that, that's sin. But when you get to the end of the second act, Jesus has completely turned the tables. Here's what you see. You have two sons, one good, one bad, but they've both been alienated from the father. And you come to realize they both want the father's things, but not the father. They've both been using the father to get the things they really love, which is the wealth and the status. But one has been doing it by being very, very bad, and the other has been doing it by being very, very good. See, why does the older brother not go into the feast? He tells you, he says it. He says, I have never disobeyed you. There it is, that's the reason I'm mad. That's the reason why I'm not going into the feast. In other words, the thing that is keeping him from the father is not his sin, it's his goodness. It's his righteousness. The younger brother was trying to get control by leaving and disobeying. But the elder brother was trying to get control by staying and obeying. 
The younger brother was trying to get control of the father's things by breaking all the rules. But the elder brother was trying to get control of the father's things by keeping all the rules. And Jesus is showing us that they're both lost. They both are without a relationship to the father. They're both alienated from the father and they're both alienated from God. Obviously, there is still more to the story. In fact, indeed, I think we're just about halfway. So that's a very good point <laughs> to pause it for this week because it's still going to then go on to link all of this back to the audience that were listening to Jesus. And then, of course, ultimately link it back to Jesus himself, how he, what role does Jesus play in this story as we could see um, him narrating it. But yes, we've at least so far heard a bit about the elder brother as well. And we can begin to see that this is not so much a story about the prodigal son as we often, in fact, in very many of our Bibles, that would be the heading or the subheading for this interesting story. And I would urge us to actually have a look at the chapter at our convenience, Luke chapter 15. Three stories were told in that chapter. The first was about the lost sheep. The second was about the lost coin and this third story about the lost son. But indeed, actually, lost sons in the plural. Um, and indeed, the story tells us one of them was, in, was reunited back to the family. But the second, we just do not know. And I don't want to jump ahead of the resource person <laughs> um, as we would pick it up in, in a couple of weeks to finish off and you know tie it all together but even from what we've heard so far and whatever you knew of this story before i'm wondering what's standing out to us individually something that you know your the holy spirit is kind of expounding on your heart as you listen to this retelling of a very familiar story that we've yeah, all ahead before. I know, are you raising your hand or just finding a comfortable position? <laughs> no, sorry. All right. Any thoughts, anyone, before we wrap up? Perhaps you want to actually look into your own story and see how this connects or disconnects the continuities and discontinuities with your own story of how you've come to know the Lord or you're on the way of coming to know the Lord as the case may be now we are quiet <laughs> all right it's yeah? just it's just thoughtful I think like it's a lot to take in and it helps you re-examine re re yourself and your motives and what you claim to be a Christian for. Like it just, it strips you bare of all your grandiose idea of God. And you, especially when, what struck me most was when he said, both sons were not, were trying to get what the father had, mm -hmm. but not his heart. Yeah, And yeah. it's true. Most of our prayers, so self-indulgent. Mm. So me, 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 me. And then we get it and we me, me, me again. Never once in our day do we say, God, how do you handle the world? Mm. How are you? Is it like, like I do ask him sometimes, but sometimes he get carried away with the things 
you 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 want like um there's a song I, I I listened to when I just came here and I, I from my first uni uh, by Ma Matthew J West and and there's a line that says father breaks my heart forward breaks yours and yeah. it's just like if if what breaks his heart breaks us then would our prayers would be much more centered outside of ourselves mm. and more of the things that he's working on that he needs laborers for, but that the laborers are few, but the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are in their house thinking of how many yams they want. They want more yams, want more crops, want more land. Mm -hmm. It's, it's yeah, yeah. It's just very um, retrospective for me, thanks. Thank you very much. That's helpful. Sister Lioness, are you able to talk now? Yeah, I just wanted to, so, but I wanted to them to know that okay. So last night after the Bible study, I I I was just um you know thinking about things that we have learned and how our relationship or our our knowing Christ the more has led us into the place of worship, just thanking Him and appreciating Him. So I then I remember that I went out with my dad yesterday into the city center and I don't know suddenly it just came up to me that mm. so what what do I know about men about man all right um so say for instance oh, I mean or what do I explain this so that what do I know about men like men you know that I, I didn't know much about men because and um, the father of my children and I did not stay together. For, we stayed for 36 scattered months in that um, relationship that we had. And I was thinking that I, I, I didn't particularly know a man who we pray together, we chat together, we talk about God, we talk about the scriptures, we talk about the heart of stuff, sit down and deliberate, plan. And then it just dawned on me. So when I got home last night and then after the Bible study, I was not thinking that actually on one hand, I I didn't know so much on, on this hand. But on the other hand, I began to know the God through that situation. I began to know this God that I have professed that I know for many years. And I began to understand his mind, understand his art understand his purpose for me understand his love understand who he is as the god of my salvation the one that saves and keeps me you know and, and it looks as though when i put it on a on a scale it's as though this hand went down like it's heavy you understand i, I don't have to have this to have this but i need this to be able to get this on the other hand and when i looked at the old stuff i looked at oh so god so this was what you've been driving at for many years and i didn't quite understand what your mind is towards me i was just thinking that okay you know this is christianity or this salvation or whatever it is i didn't understand what his mind is what he really wants you know his love to understand what he who he is, you know, and have a proper relationship. And it was just done on me that God, you know, I, I, I'm so grateful that, you know, this outweighs whatever that 
on the other hand was or may look like you know and i am just so grateful um and i didn't realize that this was what we're going to be talking about here that you know um god is just so much more i i, I went okay so last week i went for a retreat for the very first time in my life after this whole saga of this marriage relationship for the whole I did not pray about marriage or anything. I was just enjoying myself. I was just enjoying the life of my head. I was just studying the scriptures, joining, you know, learning to, you know, just having a sweet relationship with my father. And I looked at myself, I said, eh, for the first time, eh, auntie, you went for a retreat and there was nothing like praying about husband, praying about men, praying about, I was just enjoying the company of my God you know and it's just so sweet because i'm beginning to love the process like okay so this is it so yeah let's go you know i'm ready so um looking at this now thinking about this that you know so for a long time i've been uh whether i'm a younger son or an elder son i, I did not particularly have in mind what father the, what my father has in mind yeah, you know uh-huh. I didn't particularly have it. I was just doing my own stuff. That uh, okay, so we were all sons. Oh yeah, fire on, you know. But knowing what it feels, daddy, what I mean, what's on your mind, you know. So this, it's me really standing there thinking, wow, this is an institution I've never met. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's helpful. I'm seeing quite some comments as well. Chidera is saying that um yeah, that look 15 indeed is, and in, she said, indeed, this is an insight and reminder to how we live our lives, just as Sister Anutu was saying as a reflection. Um, Titi Layo, you said, Lord, help my heart to see you, to see as you see and to love as you love. I think that's a prayer that our hearts should all be praying. Stephen, go for it, and then we'll come back to tie it together and pray. Um, just to add to what has been said already, uh, like humans, I mean, from both ends, the older and the younger. So on the face value, you want to say the older brother, at least, I mean, is fair enough. And and, and it's, it brings to mind, like, the fundamentally, humans are kind of selfish in a way. Uh, except um, um 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 except the Lord has worked on also it's just just something that is like generally in the good way or the bad way we we just want it all for ourselves and and for me that's really challenging and and I'm I'm being mm -hmm. thank you thank you okay um all right. Um, as we bring it to a close tonight, and I know it's it's not, many people will not like the fact that we leave this in suspense in a manner of speaking, um, but when we come back next week, we'll tie it all together. But I want to double click on how this connects to our various um, situations and scenarios, especially from that probing question of our relationship with our father's heart vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, our motives, uh, the reason why we do the things we do, the reason why we say the things we say, et cetera, et cetera. Um, a scripture that has always been 
a, a go-to scripture in a manner of speaking for me is Proverbs 16 and verse 2. I know it's repeated a couple of times in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 16 verse 2 says that all of a man's way seems right unto him, but God judges the motives. I want to see it from a couple more translations, so I'm trying to actually pull it up. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 2. All of a man's way seemeth right unto him, but God judges the motives. In the Amplified uh, Classic, it says, All the ways of a man are clean and innocent in his own eyes, and he may see nothing wrong with his actions. But the Lord weighs and examines the motives and intents of the heart and knows the truth. He knows the truth. He knows the truth. In the Good News Translation, it says, you may think everything you do is right, but the Lord judges your motives. You may think everything you do is right, but the Lord judges your motive. Um, the Living Bible paraphrase says, we can always prove what we can always prove that we are right, but is the Lord convinced? <laughs> we can always prove that we are right. But the question is, is the Lord convinced? <laughs> because of course he actually knows who is right and who is not. Um, and lastly, I would read the voice translation. It says, even when you think you have good intentions, God knows your real motives. Even when you think you have good intentions, God knows your real motives. I bring that up to say that on the one hand, I mean, I found myself in the younger son, I found myself in the elder son in different ways i found myself in trying to earn my salvation um, by trying to keep all the rules and be very good um, and i've also in my own uh, moments of you know solitude and in the privacy of my aloneness i've also been very very bad um, and so there is these different sides of course especially the very very bad part is secret so people don't get to see that. And everybody just sees this very good boy that is very, very good. <laughs> and so there is that hypocritical mix of the younger son and the older son. But the good news is grace found me. And it's the same way the father responds to the younger son and responds to the other son that he has responded to me. But then I can say that now. Now, what does living out that life of grace look like in reality and in practical terms? Am I getting closer to the Father's heart? Or am I, I've been there, done that, now we can still continue to, you know, just use God as a means to an end, when indeed he is the end. What is the chief purpose of man? The chief purpose of man is to, glorify god and to enjoy him forever i mean that's that quote stays with me because i think it summarizes for me indeed what our corporate purpose and individual purposes should indeed be to glorify god and to enjoy him forever and i pray that as we go into the rest of this month come next meeting when we get together again and finish up this story, and indeed onwards into the rest of our lives, that God will help us to see Jesus not just as a boss and as an example, but truly as our Savior, 
the one that went the extra mile to be compassionate towards us and then to have an undying sense of value and worth for that that carries on into how we do marriage how we do our career how we study as students how we husband as husbands how we wife as wives how we mom as moms and things like that that it's a spillover from our connectedness our relationship to our father's heart and like sister Anna said in that song lyrics that she quoted that whatever breaks God's heart should break ours too to see him more clearly love him more dearly and follow him more nearly day by day simple song priceless prayer that we should all be praying for the rest of our days and we're out of time uh, that's where we'll call it a night um, or an evening or an afternoon wherever you may be located um, but thanks so much for joining in tonight and just to assure us that yes we would complete the conversation in two weeks so please make it a date and let's see how there is still so much juice to squeeze from this story that we've left in this cliffhanger um, to pick it up next meeting. And the Lord bless our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. As we go into a moment of prayer to conclude, I just want us in our different rectangles on Zoom, wherever you're located, I mean, to speak to God, to use this as a moment of you know, unburdening yourself, whatever that looks like, vis-a-vis -vis all these things you've heard and how his word has yet again been a mirror for us to see ourselves through and say, in this way, I've been like the younger son or in this way, I've been like the elder son or in this way, I've also been interested in what I can get from you much more than your heart. And I'm sorry, I'm coming to be clean, to come clean with you in that sense. So let's speak to God. Even right now, His grace is available to chase after us, to fall upon our necks, to sweep us off our feet, to clothe us in a royal robe, to put signet rings upon our fingers, to put shoes on our feet, and to have the fattened calf yet again, as it were, slaughtered at this village party. For there is joy, Bible says, over one soul that catches this revelation and comes back home, comes back to that relationship with the Father's heart that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight. We thank you because you are good and your mercy is endures forever. We thank you because you are set to take us deeper, take us further, take us higher in knowing you, in enjoying you, in journeying with you, in unpacking your grace, and in living out the same in our day-to-day -day activities. This is our heart's desire, to see you more clearly, to love you more dearly, and to follow you more nearly. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Mm -hmm.